Amen. Here we are again. Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 105. Psalm 105. Uh, I'm using the New American Standard translation. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Speak of all His wonders. Glory in His holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His face continually. Remember His wonders which He has done. His marvels and the judgments uttered by His mouth. O seed of Abraham, His servant. O sons of Jacob, His chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He has remembered His covenant forever. The word which He commanded to a thousand generations. The covenant which He made with Abraham and His oath to Isaac. Then He confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance when they were only a few men in number, very few, and strangers in it. And they wandered about from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people. He permitted no man to oppress them, and He reproved kings for their sakes. Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. And He called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him, the ruler of peoples, and set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler over all his possessions to imprison his princes at will that he might teach his elders wisdom. Israel also came into Egypt, thus Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And he caused his people to be very fruitful and made them stronger than their adversaries. Let's pray. Our Father, once again we need help from heaven. Our eyes are upon Thee. We pray that You'd bring home to our hearts some truth here that would help us, that would change our lives, that would lead us forward. We pray for the refreshing presence of Your Spirit and renewed strength even this afternoon for our minds and bodies. That You would give us that which would bring us on toward glory and help us in the time of need. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this psalm, the psalmist exhorts us to give thanks. Then he goes on in uh, verses 5 to 8 about remembering things that God has done in the past. And he gives a very brief history of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then in verse 16, And following, he begins to expand on the story of Joseph. And I'd like for us to look today at verse 19. 
until the time that His Word came to pass, the Word of the Lord tested him. Now, let me just remind you a little bit about the story of Joseph. You remember when he was a young man, he had dreams. 17 years old. And uh, he was one of 12 brothers, and his brothers hated him. They hated him, first of all, because his father loved him. And they hated him particularly because of these dreams that he had. He had the dream of the sheaves in the field bowing down to him. Then he had a dream of uh, the sun and the moon and eleven stars bowing down to him. So his brothers hated him, and uh, they put him into a pit and then sold him as slaves to a Midianite caravan that was passing through. And what a terrible scene that must have been. Um, Again, he's 17 years old. And that scene lived in his brother's mind. It was burnt into their minds and they carried that around for years. And we know that because many years later when they were down in Egypt, they brought it up. When things started to go wrong with the ruler there, they didn't know it was Joseph. This is what they said. They said to one another, truly we're guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us yet we would not listen. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not tell you, do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. So they carried that scene around a long time. And and they said, that's why this has happened. And so they they sell him into slavery to this caravan. The caravan goes down into Egypt and they sell him again. And he ends up becoming Potiphar's slave and uh, serves in Potiphar's household. And as you know, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. He refuses. He obeys God and as a result, she falsely accuses him. He gets put down into prison, down in the dungeon. It actually says dungeon, pit. He was in a pit. It says here in the psalm we just read that they afflicted him with fetters. He had irons on him. I think one translation says he had an iron on his neck. Um, I'm not sure where they got that, but they're trying to capture the meaning of these words. So he went down. Uh, while he was a prisoner um, in the prison, two of Pharaoh's servants come in there. You remember he tells the dreams. He says, remember me. And he promptly forgets him. Cupbearer forgets him. <clears throat> and So that's the story of Joseph. And we get a little feel for it by the names that he gave to his children. Joseph named, I'll just read this from Genesis, we don't need to turn there, but Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and my father's household. Manasseh had to do with trouble, forgetting his trouble. He named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me faithful, fruitful in the land of my affliction. So Ephraim has to do with affliction. So picture naming your children trouble and affliction. Come here, trouble. (laughs) Come here, affliction. 
he said it. It was in an, it was in a positive sense. He said, "God made me forget this, and He's made me fruitful in spite of it." But that was their names, Manasseh and Ephraim, and that's a summary of all of his young adult life. Trouble and affliction. Trouble and affliction. Amazing story. And yet, that's not what Joseph's real trial was. His real trial is what we read in verse 19. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him, tried him, refined him, tried him. That was his trial, the word of the Lord. And I was asked the question earlier, what's the most severe trial of your life, Christian life? I think this is true of every Christian. The most severe trial in the Christian life is the Word of the Lord. What's the, what, what was the Word of the Lord to Joseph? Well, if, he, if God had ever spoken to Joseph, it was in those dreams. And you know these dreams in the Bible, same way with Pharaoh's dreams. It was not like you have a real vivid dream. It was something supernatural. They knew God, this was so, it was more like a vision. And it was so real and so detailed that it bothers Pharaoh to the point if he says, somebody's got to tell me what this means. And that's the way it was with Joseph's dreams. God spoke to him. And if, he, if, if God was real, if there's a God and He's real, and He's ever said anything to me in my whole life, it's these dreams. And the Word of the Lord is what tested Joseph, because everything that happened to him, every step of the way from the time he had the dream, was directly contrary to the Word of the Lord ever coming to pass. Because God had said, your mother and brothers, your father are going to bow down to you, and instead he's going down, he's being sold down into Egypt. And, finally, and then he ends up down in the dungeon every step of the way. The Word of the Lord <clears throat> seems to be failing. His real trial was not the fetters. His real trial was not being falsely accused. His real trial was not being torn away from his father and his family, when he's 17 years old, he had to go down there and learn a, a new language. I, I met a guy one time in Germany that learned German. I don't remember what country he came from, but they put him in jail. He was escaping from somewhere. And they put him in jail as soon as they caught him, and he, he said, I learned German in jail. Well, that's a hard way to learn. <laughs> and basically, that's how Joseph learned Egyptian. He didn't know Egyptian when he, his brothers didn't know. And so, that wasn't his trial though. His trial was not being put down in the dungeon. His trial was not the fetters of iron. Think of this. You can go through about anything. I mean, if your faith is strong and you're clear in the Word of God, you can handle about any kind of suffering or anything else. But whenever the Word of God starts putting you in the fire, that is hard when it seems as though the Word of God has failed, that's, a, that's, a, that's when a man is tried in the fire. That's the hardest thing. Joseph knew if God had ever spoken to him in all his life, he had spoken in those dreams. I think that's why, you know, we tend to think, well, he was 
proud and foolish, he goes to his brother telling him the dreams. And, you know, it's like, how dumb could you be? But I think what it was is he was so impacted, God had spoken to him, he couldn't keep from talking about those dreams. It, it, it shook him up. I mean, it was his whole life. God had made himself real, and he knew God spoke to me. And he was talking about it. But as soon as that happened, God began to take him down the exact opposite direction of any of those things being fulfilled. And the Word of the Lord was testing him. Everything seems to be going contrary to contradict the Word of God, and there's no way that it can ever prove true in my situation. That's the hardest thing. And it seems like God does this repeatedly with His children. We see it in the life of Abraham, for example. He's 75. God says, you're going to be the father of a great nation. And so, praise God, you know, this is going to be happening pretty soon, and I'm getting kind of old, you know. When he's 99, he still doesn't have... And his barren wife has not one child when she was young and healthy. See, the word, the word of the Lord is testing this man. It's not just that he doesn't have a child. It's like, does he have a God? That's the hard part. Moses. It says in Acts 7, he supposed that his brethren would know that he was the one that was going to deliver Israel. He had some kind of sense from God back then that he was going to be the deliverer. Forty years later, he's out... Well, right after that, he's fleeing from Pharaoh, and 40 years later, he's still out there tending sheep. He's given up on it. That that's ever going to come to pass. David, he's anointed king. As soon as he's anointed, he's driven from Saul's presence, and he spends years out there fleeing, running around, living in caves, and what have you. It looked as though the Word of God had failed. And we see this very thing. There's an unusual psalm. I actually had a brother just a few weeks ago. He was in tears reading this psalm. He said, I cannot figure this thing out. Let's look at Psalm 44. Spend a little time on this. It's, it starts out, O oh God, we've heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us the work that You did in their days, in the days of old. Thou with Thine own hand didst drive out the nations. That it's plant them. That it's afflict the peoples. That it's spread them abroad. For by their own sword they did not possess the land. By their own, their own arm did not save them. So he's going recounting all these victories. God brought them into the land. And you get down to verse 9. Well, he goes, verse 8, or verse 6, he says, I will not trust in my bow, nor will my sword save me. But thou hast saved us from our adversaries. And thou hast put to shame those who hate us. In God we boasted all day long, and we will give thanks to Thy name forever. So everything sounds good, but you get to verse 9. Yet, You have rejected us and brought us to dishonor. Does not go out with our armies. 
Let us cause us to turn back from the adversary. And those who hate us have taken spoil for themselves. You give us as sheep to be eaten and have scattered us among the nations. Let us sell thy people cheaply and is not profited by their sale. Let us make us a reproach to our neighbors, a scoffing and a derision to those around us. Let us make us a byword among the nations, a laughing stock among the peoples. All day long my dishonor is before me and my humiliation has overwhelmed me because of the voice of him who reproaches and reviles because of the presence of the enemy and avenger. You look at that and you say, that's easy. They've disobeyed God. God said all that would happen to you. He said, if you don't keep my commandments, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be the tail and not the head. You're going to be cursed as you go out and as you come in. That's simple. And now you've got to read the next verse. Verse 17, All this has come upon us, but we have not forgotten thee, and we have not dealt falsely with thy covenant. Our heart has not turned back, and our steps have not deviated from thy way. Yet thou hast crushed us in a place of jackals and covered us with a shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or extended our hands to a strange God, would not God find this out? For He knows the secrets of the heart. But for Thy sake we're killed all the day long. We're not being killed for disobedience. We're being killed for obedience. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Arouse Thyself. Why dost Thou sleep, O Lord? Awake, do not reject us forever. Why dost Thou hide Thy face and forget our affliction and our oppression? For our souls has, our soul has sunk down into the dust. Our body cleaves to the earth. Rise up, be our help, and redeem us for the sake of Thy loving kindness. Now, isn't this something? This is what was happening to Joseph. The Word of the Lord was testing this man. And he's not saying they're perfect. He's not saying that they haven't failed God. I mean, all countless ways. But it's similar to some of those other psalms where, where the psalmist pleads his righteousness. You know, he says, Lord, judge me according to my righteousness. What's that mean? Well, what it means is, is here you are and somebody accuses you of adultery or they accuse you of embezzling money from the, from the business or something. You know you haven't done it. You say, Lord, vindicate me according to my righteousness. You're not saying you're sinless, but you're saying this thing isn't true. And when he looks at this, he says, in all honesty, we've been trying to follow God. We haven't forsaken God. And yet all this stuff has happened to us. That makes no sense at all according to what God said. And the psalm ends that way. It ends in the dust. He's still crying out to God. Severe trial. Now, We have all kinds of things like that that we face. Different ones face it in different ways. God promises to answer prayer. Year after year goes by and it seems like God's not answering. He promises to keep His children from falling away. Here's a guy that you feel certain he's a child of God and he falls away. You know, there's one thing after another like that where the Word of the Lord tries you. And there's a great temptation to twist the Word of the Lord, you know, soften it up, change this a little bit, because you've got to somehow apologize for God and get this to fit. That's what Job's friends did. You've got to figure this thing out. 
And he, Job says, your defense, he said, well, will you defend God? Your defenses are defenses of clay. He's doing stuff that you can't figure out and you might as well admit it. I don't know how this fits. I don't know how it fits. It seems as though the Word of God has failed. Think of it. There, the Jew, this isn't a problem for us, but it was a problem for the Jews in the first century. The Messiah, their Savior, had come to save them and most of them didn't get saved. And Paul has to deal, he takes three chapters out of Romans to talk about that. He says, not as though the Word of God has failed. It looks like that, but it, there's an explanation. And he, and he goes into the explanation. But that was a problem. That was a big problem for them. Notice what it says back here in Psalm 105. It says, the Word of the Lord tested him. I think the authorized has refined. I don't know what the ESV has on that. But the idea, tested, tried, refined, smelted. And the word in the King James, the word is translated refined, melt, try, founder, and goldsmith. I don't know where that would fit in. The Septuagint translated it as to burn or make red hot. The Word of the Lord burned him and made him red hot. Psalm 66, he says, Thou hast tried us, O God, Thou hast refined us as silver is refined. That it's bring us into the net, that it's lay an oppressive burden upon our loins. That is make men right over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Retried and refined. Melted down. Malachi 3. Who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. And He will purify the sons of Levi, and refine them like gold and silver, so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. I think I spoke on this last time I was down here. God melting us down, refining the metal. You know, the whole idea of refining is you heat the thing up in a blast furnace, you get it, you get it so hot that it melts down. And then the scum comes up to the top. I actually did this. I think I told you all this story. That after I got out of college, I wanted to have some weights made out of lead. I used to lift weights, believe it or not. And um, I, I did it in. I, I didn't realize about lead poisoning at the time. And I did it in our kitchen. Uh, I was still single at the time, or I wouldn't have gotten away with it. But I did have a fan in the window. But anyway, I melted that. I had this dirty lead that I bought from a scrapyard. And I melted that stuff down and it, it looks like silver. It is beautiful when you melt it down. But the scum all comes to the top and I had a fork and I drank that off. That's what he's talking about here, purifying. I mean, he, you don't get the metal melted without getting... It hot. I mean painfully hot. 
What's he saying to us? He put Joseph in the fire. You can't have a man more powerful, basically, than the most powerful man in the world. I mean, he had the right, it says, to imprison Pharaoh's officers. He was basically more He was calling the shots over Pharaoh. Telling Pharaoh what to do. Now, now put the grain in here. Now do that right there. Whatever he says. God is not going to exalt a man to that position of power without burning him up and melting him down. And He does it through His Word. The Word of the Lord melted Joseph, burned him up, tried him, tested him, refined him in the fire. In what ways did the Word of the Lord try or refine Joseph? You know, when that scum begins to come to the top, you don't think you're getting better or more holy. You think you're getting worse. God refined him. In what ways? Three in particular that stand out to me. First of all, obviously, he refined his faith. The Word of the Lord tested his faith. Remember what his brothers said when they were first plotting to kill him. This is back in chapter 37 of Genesis. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Now then, come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we'll say a wild beast has devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. Then see what will become. And beloved, that's what Satan was saying to him every time. When he got sold into that caravan and he's going down into Egypt, now what's going to become of your dreams? And then he gets in there in Potiphar's household and... She falsely accused him. He gets thrown down into prison. Now what's become of your dreams? The Word of the Lord testing him and refining his faith. Peter talks about the trial of faith, the testing of faith. He says the proof or trial or testing of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable even though tested by fire. What's going to be the result? May be found... To result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Brothers, there's things that you're going through that are melting down, trying, testing, refining your faith that the, the ultimate goal of it won't even be seen until the return of Christ. And then there's going to be, think of it, Then there's going to be praise and glory and honor. He's going to say, look, look. This man remained true. He believed me. 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing. There it is. Trying. Refining. As though some strange thing were happening to you. Abraham, it says... His faith was being tested. He didn't stagger at the promise of God through unbelief. He grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. See, there was a process going on there. He stumbled with Ishmael, but then he keeps on, and his faith grows strong. 
being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. His faith's being tested and tried and perfected. And the ultimate test came in the sacrifice of Isaac, didn't it? Let me just read that to you, make, give it a little bit different slant on this. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, same word, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. Now listen to this. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Now there's the real trial. He's not just losing his son, he's losing the one in whom all the promises of God and the Word of God was wrapped up in. The Word of God was testing him. Lord, you said that in Isaac my seed will be called, and now you're asking me to sacrifice Isaac. The word of the Lord's testing him, but he considered that God's able even to raise men from the dead, which he also received him back as a type. David, <clears throat> God said he was going to be king, yet he's not, and he's out there. His faith is being tested, it's being purified. And you remember there were times he got discouraged, he says, now Saul's going to kill me. That's exactly opposite of what God said. He got to the point where he's not even believing that. He's in a low time. Saul's going to kill me. I might as well go to the Philistine. But then, he begins to get some strength back. You remember it says what that very low point in his life. David encouraged himself in the Lord. He got a hold of something. His faith is being perfected. Moses... Moses was being tested. So what else? First of all, the Word of the Lord refined Joseph's faith. What else? It, it refined his patience or his endurance. Here he was, 17. When God gave him those dreams, he was in his early 20s when he was down there with Potiphar and his wife, that whole deal. He was... 30, at the time when he was exalted by Pharaoh, and you remember there was seven years of plenty, and then the famine set in. We don't know, it was at least eight years before his family came down there. It might have been longer than that before they got desperate. That would have made him 38 years old by the time, until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested. So he's 17 when God speaks to him. He's 38 when his word comes to pass. More than half of his life was spent with everything going the opposite way. His patience, his endurance. Endurance is necessary in the Christian life. It's necessary. You've got to have it. It's no small thing when a man endures. Abraham, 75, when he got that promise of becoming, having a, becoming a great nation. 85, in the situation with Hagar. And 99, whenever 
He finally had a child. <clears throat> Moses. Look at that. 40, we say, we read these things so lightly. 40 years. 40 years out there in the desert. 40 years. And when God appeared in that bush, his, his ambition was all over. It was God. <laughs> Lord, send somebody else. <laughs> oh my. That you be not slothful, but followers of those who through faith and endurance, patience, inherit the promises. David, young man when he was anointed, he's there 30, I think he's 30 years old at Hebron. So, Joseph's faith was being refined, his patience or his endurance was being refined, and his forgiveness or his love was being refined. Think of this. You read that account. Every time I just read through it recently, I've read that account many times. I cannot read that account without weeping. I mean, his brothers come in there and he still loves them. And and when he when he finds out that they're afraid of him, it makes him weep. Right? Even at the end, after his father dies, they come, they're afraid that he's going to do something now. And it's like, can't you believe? Have you never believed that I really do love you? That I've forgiven you? And he totally came through this this trial, this test of forgiveness. We won't read those verses, but I think I hope you're familiar with those. Where he 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 sends out the Egyptians and he starts speaking in Hebrew. And he's weeping and he says, I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph, your brother. And they, and they fall on each other and hug. He forgives him. He says, you're not the one. He's, he even says this. He even says, don't blame yourself. <laughs> don't feel, I mean, at least I'd want that pleasure. Say, <laughs> so, you know, you need to feel bad about this. I forgive you, but you need to feel bad about it. But he didn't even do that. Don't be angry with yourself. Don't be, blame yourself. Well, the Word of God tried Joseph and the Word of God will sometimes try us too. God will put us through the fire by His Word and refine us. <clears throat> a really glorious thing that I want to point out here in closing is that everything that looked like the Word of God had failed was a step towards the fulfillment of the Word of God. How is Joseph ever going to be exalted if he doesn't go down to Egypt? How's he going to get down to Egypt? They've got to sell him as a slave. How's he ever going to meet Pharaoh's cupbearer if he doesn't get put in the dungeon? Falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Each step of the way that looks worse and worse and worse is God getting closer and closer and closer to the fulfillment of this impossible promise? Now we've got to take heart from these things. God didn't put them in the Bible for no reason. We need to take heart that the Word of the Lord has not and cannot fail. And put our trust in Him. 
And let Him refine our faith and let Him refine our endurance and let Him refine our forgiveness and our love. Haven't we seen it? I mean, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good every step of the way. We've seen so many things like this, haven't you? In the course of your Christian life, something that looks like, oh, why did that have to happen? Oh, praise God. (laughs) That was the step to the fulfillment. William Cooper had that song, uh, well, I can't remember the name of it. God Moves in Mysterious Ways. He said, God moves in mysterious ways His wonders to perform. He hides His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Isn't that the way it goes? You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and will break with blessings on your head. (laughs) Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling faith. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. I mean, 40 years. (laughs) But they'll be just on time, won't they? Everything will be just on schedule. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud might have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. That's it, isn't it? Now, one last application. When we were reading Psalm 44, was there anything familiar in there as you read through that? We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. For thy sake we're killed all the day long. Have you ever heard any of those verses? Paul is flying along in Romans 8. Who shall separate us? You know, if God be for us, who can be against us? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, who's going to separate us? And then he goes back to this worst possible place in the Bible. (laughs) And he said, even if it looks like this, even if it looks like the Word of God is failing, even if it looks like you're being killed for obedience, Nevertheless, nothing is going to separate us from the love of God in Christ. But Paul picks out the worst verse he can. He says, even if it's like that. And that looked like that was what was going on. I mean, it got even worse, didn't it, in the early church? Thousands, I mean, Christians being used for torture. But, as old Vance Hadner said, People named their dogs Nero and their boys Paul. The Roman Empire is in the dust and the church continues on. In all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. So good to hear these stories about Joseph, isn't it? It's the hard part just remembering it when when we stub our toe or <laughs> some little thing, or when we get into a really bad trial, even more. But God's given us His Word to strengthen us in this. Amen.